Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy. I am back for another fun-filled, crime-filled episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups with super producer Alex, who has recently been banned from singing TV crime (laughs) theme songs. And you have no idea what you're missing. I have the best TV crime song voice ever. (laughs) Well, I needed you. I needed you the other day. You know why? Because I walked out of King Super's. And someone keyed my car. What is a King Supers again? King Supers, the grocery store here okay, in so Colorado. Okay, so it's like the Kroger. Got it. Yeah, yeah, it's Kro- it's a Kroger. I don't know, associate or whatever. But yeah, so I walked out and I, and I'm like, what did I drive through a bunch of bubble gum? Like, what happened? And I look and I'm like, God, am I, someone keyed my car. And and then I look at the at the guy parked in front of me. And they just got my driver door. They got the whole side of his car. His little Prius. They must not have liked Prius. Priuses, pre-i. <laughs> <laughs> the pre-i, yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I have a, a mutual hatred for the Prius as well, because I'm always stuck behind one somewhere, and I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? You're in a line between, you know, behind a whole bunch of slow cars. There's always a Prius up there somewhere. Prius, they're not that slow. They're just uncomfortable and really no, loud. It's the person driving the Prius is what makes it Oh, there slow. is that. You know why? It's Because like they're not going life. as fast as I want to go, and therefore they're going too slowly. That's how that works. Well, my dad has one. It's like a real-life video game. So if you drive it just the right speed, the the, the leaves start to bloom on the screen. Oh, no. <laughs> that explains why. why they're always trying to idle from one point to the next. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to win the video game that the car is kind of That's inadvertently it making. Is. It's a video game in there. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Tesla's have stuff like that, although it's not, I don't know if they have anything like the the flower blooming, but if you turn on the heater in a Tesla, you know, the big uh, touchscreen display in the middle of the dash will Uh show this. I think it's sort of like a a screensaver, but they'll show uh, a fire burning in a fireplace. Oh, well, you know what else a Tesla did the other day? So it someone else got their car keyed around here in Denver, and this made the news. The Tesla turned on and videoed the guy's key in the car. And you're kidding. No, I'm serious. It was on the news like last week. And um, and they had these guys' faces on the on the news and the cameras in the uh this rear is the side brilliant. view. Mirror. I mm-hmm. love it. Yeah, yeah. I I needed that. I needed that's that. one more reason to get a Tesla. So you got your car keyed. Mm-hmm. And the cop and the cops were like, "Is anybody out to get you?" I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> Maybe. And you did. You did call the cops to you know to. Report well, you got to get a report, right? So you can get okay. the insurance money and everything. Uh, and who do we think is out to get you? Uh could be anybody. No, no one I know personally. I, I actually, I think it was random. I really do. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would make sense, and especially if they got the Prius next to you. Yeah. Yeah. In front of me. Yeah. They just walked along. That was their entertainment. Like, how do you feel good about yourself doing that? It was complete waste. Complete. Now that brings up an interesting topic because you have done a lot of you're you're a very public figure Mm -hmm. and you've been on a lot of uh, videos and news shows and uh, and interviewed in all sorts of magazines. Typically, they bring you on board to ask you about an ongoing crime case. Am Mm -hmm. I right? Mm-hmm. And you give a read on the person who is the suspect or the alleged criminal, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Do you 
ever are, do you ever worry about repercussions from those people? I never had until now. Well, uh, and usually I'm right. I've been, I'm batting a thousand, knock on wood. I never thought about it. Maybe I should. And so when you wonder why you have trouble in your marriage and you have to complain about your husband, go back to that last sentence. What? What did I say? I'm always right. I'm batting a thousand. <laughs> that is not conducive to your happy marriage. <laughs> he, he, he said, he said, I can't, I can't take criticism well or something. I told him that that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what happens is you come over here and complain about him and then you leave. And then a few hours later, he's over here complaining about you. Oh, there's very few complaints. You know that. From whom? From, which from one? either of us. He's a good guy. We, <laughs> we are fine. No, you're both great guys. But just yeah. like any normal, healthy marriage, you have some things to, that you complain about. I can't believe she cleaned this and she cleaned that and she threw my stuff out. And I can't <laughs> believe he leaves his stuff laying all over the table when he comes in. So these are the silly things that you guys complain it, about. That is. The funny thing is that you both come over here to complain to me. Well, that's, if that's the worst thing that we have is that I clean up and he messes up, we're okay. <laughs> we're yeah, okay. That's not bad at all. Uh, so I understand you were talking with oh lisa I, oh, lawler today, lisa lawler i did talk to her and she's coming up in an interview here talk about a mess talk about a mess to clean up i me and matt we got nothing compared to lisa lawler um her Lay it on uh, me tell me about her yeah her husband um embezzled 1.2 million dollars and she ended up on the hook for it Oh, that's the best way to do it right there. Isn't it? Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. If anyone's going to come over to complain at your house, it should be Lisa. And, <laughs> and she she um, she has this this group. It's called White Collar Wives. And she's actually uh, made a support group and coaches women through. Uh, it could be men, too. Mostly it's women on on how to navigate through this. And it's um, it's kind of this underground thing that uh unfortunately is becoming bigger than what she ever hoped it would be just because it happens so much and you know what the other day she got a call from one of the big time national news anchors uh, -huh. uh not for a story but because her husband um has embezzled a bunch of money as well so yeah fascinating lisa is uh just what she's doing is fantastic and um i really liked her Huh. That sounds fascinating. And uh, so, you know, she may very well end up being an expert witness for these kind of cases by the sounds of it. Well, given that people are reaching out to her. At this yeah. Point. Well, she, she's helping people navigate through it. Yeah. And do we can we can we create a rhyme for this name? I don't know. The Secret lives of white collar wives. Oh, um, well, it does rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. Secret lives of white collar wives. <laughs> Secret lies of white. Well, I know you needed to hear me sing. Some I did. More. <laughs> I thought you were banned. You were banned from singing, which makes us have to go to the interview now. Let's go to the interview now before I sing some more. Mm. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really an honor to have you. Hey, Tracy, thanks for having me. Wow. Now we met because we have a mutual friend um, in Abby Ellen and, right. uh, she, and she wrote duped and you were in her book. And I, um, I, I, I was like, I need to find this woman because I just think, 
I just, you've just had some unimaginable stuff go on now. You're cause you're the head of, is it, is it called white collar wives or what, what is it's, the official name? So I began the, I will just back up a little bit, give you oh. a little background real quick. Um, a few years after my husband, you know, was indicted, indicted and, and went away to jail for embezzling two and a half million dollars uh, from his employer, which was a prominent teaching hospital in New England. It took me a few years, but, you know, just let the dust settle. And then I wanted to kind of reach out to other women that have been through this. So I started blogging mm-hmm. and women started reaching back very tentatively at first. And then I thought, well, you know what, let's, I'm going to start a Facebook page where we can all kind of convene and share stories and support each other. And it was first called uh, the White Collar Wives Club. Because this was a club that none none of us or nobody would ever want to belong to. But later I changed it to the Secret Lives of White Collar Wives. And then later, probably a year or two later, I developed the White Collar Wives Project. From there, I talked about what it was you know, what it meant to be a white collar wife, what were the perils, what were the, you know, how do you navigate that? And then I started putting my media page up. And then I wrote a book uh, for wives on how to navigate through this mess. I call it the white collar wives or the white collar crime machine. And that's up on my website. But that's how women find me. Um, okay, it's funny. So let's back up. Let's back okay. up to the very first because okay. you're you're living your life. Everything's going good. Husband is an executive at a t- which which hospital was he at? Can you say or oh you know, I I don't know why not. It was UMass Memorial. Okay, okay. So he's there, he's uh you know, kind of at the pinnacle of his career, probably. Yeah. And uh what happens? So what happened was that he had kind of been unraveling for a little while, and I thought, oh boy, here comes his midlife crisis. You know, he bought a Porsche and yeah, my husband's shopping for sports cars. I know. No, just say no. (laughs) Get a VW bug and be happy. (laughs) Anyway, so it was kind of a cliche and I could see that his demeanor had changed. He was on edge all the time. He had a short fuse. Um, And this is a guy, you know, very charming and gregarious, like most embezzlers are. So Mm -hmm. they are. They're very charming. Yes, you probably know that. I've talked to a bunch um, of them. You know, it's kind of a masquerade of sorts. But um, so, yeah, so then he, I found out he was having an affair with a former friend of mine. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be very European about this. And it, it'll pass. You know, this is part of this whole midlife situation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, oh, that. I'll just wait this out. Uh-huh. And then it became apparent that he was really in love with this woman. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know what? You got to go. You got to go figure this out because I, th- this is just where we are right now. So we mm-hmm. separated, he got his own place and, you know, in the light of day, bringing his affair out to the light of day was, um, you know, not, not so much fun as it was when it was clandestine. Huh, <laughs> but, funny. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. So at one point he wanted to come home like four months later. And I said, what are you talking about coming home? You know, your, your lease is up in three more months. We'll talk about it then. Uh-huh. So he broke up with this woman and began to try to come back. And I left that door open just a little bit. And then about, oh gosh, maybe two or three, three weeks later after he was trying to come and make amends. And, you know, I found out that he was under investigation for embezzlement. Oh my gosh. So, so the, so the investigation started while he was out of the house. Exactly. Oh, okay. 
So it was pretty heinous and, you know, put two and two together. And initially he told me it was some smaller amount. And then a few weeks later, it was a bit bigger amount. And we had to, you know, refinance our house to have money to live on in case they froze our accounts. Oh, Um, anyway, so yeah. So finally, when he came clean, you know, first it was 150,000. Then I was, oh, it was 500,000. And then I'd finally had enough of that too. And I said, you, you need to come clean. I'm going to read it in the newspaper or hear it from an investigator. You need to tell me what, what the hell's going on. Oh, so when he said two and a half million dollars, I, I, geez, I nearly swallowed my tongue and I just kind of went numb for a while. And, and, and then I kind of went into a panic mode of wow, how is this really going to unfold? You know, what's going to happen. And I'd never known anyone that had been through this and, you know, it was just all very foreign to me now, but I knew the marriage was over. How did it all go down? Like, like how, how did you find out that he was under investigation? Like, did he just say that or did, I mean, uh, no, it, that's this, not this, a thing that would like come up normally. So this in is country. interesting. We were at uh, my son's little league game and it was his night to, to have our son. Mm-hmm. So after the game, I noticed that he'd been on the phone the whole time uh, during Your the husband. game. And, yes. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, okay, whatever. So we kind of, my son handed me his, his sports bag and I handed him his overnight bag and they took off in the Porsche. Okay. Yeah. And I marched myself over to my new, my new favorite place, which was the woe is me scorned wife section of Barnes and Noble. Oh God. Oh my gosh. Okay. Looking up and down the aisles. I'd been there a few times before looking and there was just nothing. I'm like, okay cheating husband embezzlement my life is over what the hell am I going to tell my kid what do I do moving forward what the hell's going on there's no book for me so I said okay I'll get a chocolate chip cookie so I got one of those you know enormous cookies the size of your head the size of your head love those I'm standing there waiting for them to bag it up and give me my change and I look over and there's an older man you know grain at the temples very handsome sitting with a younger woman and there she's giddy and they're laughing and talking I'm like I felt like going up to her saying are you sure he's not married (laughs) I walked out with my cookie got into my car the phone rang and it was my husband Uh and he said you've got to get home immediately and I said what are you I'm I'm, what are you talking about aren't you at your apartment with our son Uh and he said no I'm at the house and you need to get here immediately and I thought something horrible had happened to our son and I asked Uh him and he said no he's fine he's fine I've I've, something's happened and I can't talk about it over the phone you need to get here immediately threw the cookie out the window Oh, no. Put my seatbelt on. I know. Don't do that. Lost my cookie. Oh, my gosh. Put my seatbelt on, flew home, and I get into the house, and he's pacing. He's got the phone in his hand, Uh and he's pacing. Our son Uh was up in his room, and he said, I've got some terrible news. And I thought somebody close to me had died, maybe my father, Uh brother, or sister, or someone in his family. And he just came out with it. You know, he he said, this is going to be really tough. Uh, you need to sit down. And I said, I don't want to sit down. He said, you, you, you have to sit down. He was afraid I was going to fall down if I didn't. So I sat down uh and he said, I've taken money from, from the hospital. And I just remember saying to him, well, how much was it? And he said, Uh 150,000, like somehow, you know, we could just fix it. Uh And I said, well, can't we just fix it? (laughs) I said, Uh can't we just, you know, take some equity out of the house and pay it back? And he said, no, I don't, it doesn't work that way. 
Now, now really, here's a question. I want to interrupt just real. Sure. Were y'all doing okay financially? I mean, he bought a Porsche, but were y'all scraping by? I mean, how's no, he, he made a very, he made well. a very good living. And mm-hmm. he also had a side company where he made um, these components. He was an artist when it, when it came to this. Mm-hmm. He made these stainless components for um, biomedical uh, companies. So whatever money he made on the side, long hours, weekend hours, whenever he had an order. And I figured that's, that's his money to spend, you know, that's his side gig. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I bought a Porsche, but, um, so yeah, he said it was 150,000. And then I said, well, can't we just pay that money back? You know, mm-hmm. we were rich, rich. He made a nice living, but you know, we bought our house in, in the mid 1990s when homes, you know, very nice home was you could buy a really nice home for under $300,000. Sure. I think we paid $260,000 for this gorgeous home mm-hmm. that we lived on, lived in for many, many years. Um, anyway, so he said, I don't, we can't pay the money back. I just, we can't do it. And it, it's beyond that because I'm under investigation now. And I thought, oh, holy hell. Okay. You can't really go to, to the government and say, you know, or the state attorney general and say, yeah, I'd like to just, you know, clear this up and pay my money back. And, you know, let's just forget about it. It doesn't work that way. Once a crime is committed, there's no going back. You, right. You just you can't go around or under. You have to go through. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks later, we were um, getting, getting, you know, re- taking an equity loan in our house, actually. And I said to him, I, I get the feeling that you're not being honest with me because he hadn't been honest with me first for the duration of the affair until I found out. And now right. this embezzlement. And he said, well, it was $500,000. And I thought, Oh my God. So if he was willing to come clean with 500,000, something told me there was more to it. And it would be sometime later before I finally found out it was 200, you know, 2.5 million. I remember my sister, when I told her that uh, it was two and a half million, she said, remember the good old days. And it was just $150,000. Oh gosh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. If only. So from there, you know, we sold the house. I filed for divorce. We sold the house. I took my son down to Austin, Texas to be near my dad and my brother. And I knew that uh, my ex would never be able to work uh, again in new England because it's just, it's a small, you know, territorially it's it's fairly small. And I thought one day my son will want to have a relationship with his dad. Now at this point, I thought he was probably going away for five to seven years. Sure. And so, um, which didn't turn out to be the case, but I was trying to plan for that. And plus I just needed to get out of the fishbowl. I needed just to get into a different headspace. And, and I had family, close family in New England as well, but I needed to be near, near my father somehow, you know, not that I'm a daddy's girl, never was, but it just kind of made sense to get mm-hmm. my son out of this, out of the spectacle that was sure to come. Well, it ended up taking almost three years for the grand jury and for the indictment, formal indictment and all that to take place. So in now, the meantime, now had, had you all sold the house or what was happening there? Sold the house. Mm-hmm. And my son and I had moved down and rented a house near a really good school, uh, which was my, my main mission mm-hmm. to get him into a really good school. And then about four months later, uh, his attorney said, look, this thing's going to take a while. And so my now ex-husband got permission to move down to the area to be near his son and his sister also lived nearby which was the only family he had so you know there's no way I was going to let him live with us in our rental home so some good friends of ours had a home for sale they took it off the market let him live there for free for the during the pendency of of the indictment waiting for all that and his attorney at the time it assured him you know no one's going to get arrested they'll summons you to court for for your arraignment your form all the formalities 
That didn't happen. About a year later, he was arrested at his rental home uh, by local sheriff. Oh, really? Oh, they just came. We, now, now yeah. did they, they knew where he was probably. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah he, he had he asked to turn himself in, you know, three or four times and the AG said, nope, nope, not yet. So, oh yeah, he got permission. He asked the court here's, you know, can I have permission to go and be near, near, near family, mm-hmm. his own family uh, in, in, in Texas. And they said, sure, no problem. And of course, once he got his address, he forwarded that on. And oh, yeah, they always knew where he was. That's how they knew where to pick him up. He wasn't some fugitive from justice. But here's the kicker, Tracy. Hmm. Um, So this sheriff's office came and arrested him. And he uh, a week later, two state troopers from Massachusetts flew in to fly him back. Like he was some hunted killer. Oh, wow. Where they handcuff him to the to the airline seat and the whole bit like. Yep. They Ooh. put him in leg shackles, handcuffs, they uh-huh. put a chain around his wet waist and shuffled him onto a commercial jetliner. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I've flown unheard a lot. Of, I've completely never seen, unheard of. I've never seen that happen on a flight. I've flown a lot. It's and, ridiculous. Yeah. Completely, completely ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, as they say, it was an election year and Martha Coakley needed to, you know, show people she was tough on white collar crime. But let me tell you that it, they got most of the money back to begin with at the get go under uh-huh. the during investigation. So it was a total of $300,000, I think, around that amount. And for them to come and make the spectacle of arresting him when they knew darn well was he, where he was the whole time, you know, still doesn't make sense to me. So, of course, my son was traumatized by that. Thank God he wasn't there when it happened. Oh. Uh, and then from there, yeah, he went into jail and he got bail. And I said, no, you're not coming out. You know, the more time you have in jail, it's time served for whatever the heck's going to happen when you get, you know, to sentencing. Uh And so he he acquiesced and said, "Okay, you know, what else do I have to do but do time right now? So he was in in a county jail for a year. And he ended up getting two years and they paroled the second year. So he never went to prison, which was great. Um, But, yeah, it was just years of waiting for this indictment to come, waiting for, you know, for it to wind through to sentencing. And, and so, you know, that was awful. And by that time, we'd been divorced for a couple of years. Uh, but that trauma was still real. And now, how did he get caught? That I don't know. That I've never known, actually. Oh, really? Um, you know, it's a really good question. I've, I've never really known. So it had to be had to be some kind of an accounting situation mm-hmm. or because he was, uh, you know, he would do purchase orders as, oh. uh, as part of his job. And so somebody, I guess, an audit or something, but I've never known. I don't think it was ever even mentioned in the papers how he found out. And you never asked or he just wouldn't tell. No, I don't think he knew who either. So I think, you know, the bottom line was that uh, it had probably been an audit. You know, what's really funny is there's so much that I just stopped asking him because one, I wasn't sure if I would get the truth from him. And two, I would just get it in drips and drabs and it became very frustrating for me. And in the end, I thought it doesn't really matter. I, don't, I, I know the details that I need to know. You embezzled two and a half million dollars to run away with a, a woman that uh, you thought you were in love with. It turned out you weren't uh-huh. and ruined everyone's lives in the process, including your own. Right now, what, what's he doing uh, now? What's the, I mean, has- well, he is a very, very good family friend of ours uh, and former colleague of his from way, way back hired him. So he's doing, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
he's doing, still doing project management work and uh, you know, he doesn't handle anybody's money. And he's been with a woman for 10 years. They've been together for 10 years. Oh, and wow. I encouraged him. I said, you know, I'll probably never date again, but um, <laughs> once bitten, know, twice she, shy. Oh my gosh. Well, it's just, uh, it, it just became my, my focus was on getting my son through this and his focus was on getting himself through this mm -hmm. and men can't be alone. Most men, they don't want to be alone. They need that partner. They need, um, I don't know what that is. That psychology you might know more about that than I do. I, I, my husband is, yeah, they just have a really tough time <laughs> being on their own, which is, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me because, you know, don't you want some reflecting time? And, you know, my hope was, was that he would spend a couple of years with his son, just reconnecting and, and making amends. Uh -huh. and, uh, but that wasn't on the agenda. So, you know, I make him sound like a monster, but I think that when you've done yourself and your family and those closest to you, such a great disservice, I mean, mm -hmm. the guilt alone, he was truly remorseful, of course, but he, you know, when he kind of realized that I were, I'm, we're not going to put this thing back together after all, because mm -hmm. I'd left that door open just a little bit. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't trust him. Um, yeah, no. How, well, they say what, 80, 85% of uh, these kind of relationship uh, goes, ends up in divorce. This kind of trouble. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about, you know, when I started the White Collar Wives Club, Secret Lives and Wife Collar Wives uh, private group, you know, everyone is always saying, oh, White Collar Wives, they knew, you know, Erica Jane is going through it now. She had to know. Ruth Madoff, how did she not know? She yeah. Yeah. What's the, I mean, could you, do you <clears throat> excuse me, like looking back, like, cause yeah. hindsight's 2020, were there signs were, what, what do you think on that? In terms of Erica Jane or, or and you or her or, or even Ruth made well, uh, Oh my God. Here's the thing. Here's my experience was no, I was blindsided by this. Uh, you know, whenever anyone would have ever said to me, but you had to know you were living on these, on, you know, high on the hog on these funds. And then, when they, you know, my only reply is, well, first of all, those funds were not earmarked for me. <laughs> I didn't help him steal money to run away with his mistress. That just, that, that's nonsensical. Uh -huh. And they'll be like, oh, that's true. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time when I interview these women, I, I screen them into the group first, because I need to know that they're speaking the language of a white collar wife and I verify their husband's case. Oh. And so you'd be surprised people who try to come into the group. There's really whether it's a journalist or a family member of somebody or whatever. So I verify and, and uh, half the time it takes me quite a while to get these women to understand that their husbands are 99.9% are .9 guilty, but no, he would never do such a thing. He, he would never do this. It's, it's a witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. And then I have to tell them that, you know, the government doesn't bring cases that they can't win. It's right. just not what they do. Uh-huh. Uh, and paper trails don't lie. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these women spend a very long time in denial until that indictment comes and some even until sentencing comes and then they just, and they can read the case for themselves. Yeah. But it's, it's a long process for a lot of women of, of coming to terms with what, what this person has really, that, that they're guilty. Uh -huh. Then it becomes kind of an identity crisis, Tracy, because yeah. you lived with this person, you know, and he was a great dad and, 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 you know, we had a life together. Yeah. And so, yeah, the secret, hence the secret lives, white collar wives. Um, so yeah, in terms of Ruth Madoff, 
well, heck no, I don't think she knew. I don't think her sons knew. I think that, that these guys are so highly manipulative to protect their bad deeds for whatever mm-hmm. reason, obviously, because it's illegal. Right. But the thing about husbands, except for my husband's case, he was trying to impress someone else. <laughs> Those guys are, are trying to impress their family members, their close friends, their colleagues, you know, look how successful I am. And, and you know, so, you know, the tragic part is, is that a lot of these women, of course, they have young children mm-hmm. and even older children. I've, I've known other, you know, older college age kids and older that have been suicidal over this because of being duped, as Abby would say. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it, it causes this kind of fracture in your brain and in your heart and your psyche of who do I trust now? I don't know who to trust. So mm-hmm. it sets children and adult children as well up for trust issues. But there are a lot of women in the group that have gone on and have healthy relationships now. And and the group is going on eight years. So I've been able to watch a lot of these women really blossom in their lives. They've gone back to work, many of them after not working for 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, The socioeconomic profile is really, it's across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have somebody making $80,000 as a tow truck driver, embezzling, you know, putting in false insurance claims. Yeah into the millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And one of the things forensically that they look at, of course, when, when looking into these cases is did the lifestyle dramatically change overnight or how right. did it change over time? And so forensic audits, I mean, they're looking at everything. Uh, but the problem here is that we've got, we've got civil asset seizure and forfeiture, which means that the government can come in and scoop up your, your, your life savings, your 401ks, your home that you live in, they can put a, a, a lien on it. Yeah. Uh, and wives get swept up on that because of whether it's a community property state or an equitable state, they come in and they can freeze assets. The other problem is, is that, you know, each jurisdiction, each state law is different, varies from state to state. And certainly in different jur- jurisdictions, different judges and prosecutors apply the law or try to apply the law differently. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I wanted to point out with you today was that, you know, it's more difficult to defend an innocent spouse, ironically, than it is to defend, say, a corporation who's, who's been fraudulent or a lone actor who's been fraudulent, because that's kind of a straight path in, through criminal law. Uh-huh. But for innocent spouses, we're looking at um, constitutional law. We're looking at property law, marital law, bankruptcy law, tax law. You've, so you've got this convergence of all these different legal areas that come into play when you're defending an, an innocent spouse. So I'm just finishing my second book for attorneys, which is called In Defense of the Innocent Spouse. Uh, because when I do get calls and emails from attorneys asking me, you know, how do I navigate this? I've got a woman who's, whose husband's been indicted. They've frozen all her assets. You know, what, what are some of the things I need to be looking at? Mm-hmm. I finally said, look, I'm going to write it down. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I did this interesting deep dive into the history of marriage. Oh, and it is fascinating how women were at one time chattel. Um, they had the status of, of a child or your milk cow in the barn. That, that's yeah, yeah. how much, you know, agency mm-hmm. women had in those days. And a lot of the old, a lot of the laws today are based on old, you know, old English law, which goes back to Justinian law and the whole whole practice of law is based on you know case law mm-hmm. and there's not a whole lot of case law on innocent spouses and the laws that are on the book are not pro-innocent spouse 
So it's very interesting. So, so 50-50 split, you know, the jurisdictions that do this correctly, that perform and apply the, these legal matters correctly with innocent spouses, they can take half of the, whatever portion of the marital estate that the embezzler or fraudster owns and no uh -huh. more. They can't take this, they can't take the entire estate and apply it towards restitution, but they do. It happens all the time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It, it's now, heinous. Is, is that why you told me that um, some women end up pretty good and some women end up with like $11? Yes, there have been several group members that have shared that story. You know, I had 15 cents in my wallet. You know, when I went to the bank or went to the grocery store and found out that my, you know, my account, our accounts have been frozen. I had, you know, $11. I had 15 cents. I had $20. And, and it is, it's horrendous. I mean, even Ruth Madoff had an allowance to live on. Um, but these, they don't care about these women. I remember somebody said the Elizabeth Theranos case, you know, that's going on. Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Elizabeth yeah. Holmes from Theranos. I find it so fascinating because somebody had said in one of the some, somebody was talking about it saying, oh, they won't throw the book at her because she's a mom now. That doesn't go down that way. That's not how that works. You know, the judge doesn't care if she's a new mom now. Most judges won't care. Uh, in fact, a lot of attorneys try to keep these innocent spouses from divorcing their husbands because they want him to look like a family man in front of the judge. Oh, Regardless, wow. they don't care about what's happening to the wife and kids or you know, that they're going to be left with nothing. Mm -hmm. but it's really important that you uh, for my legal defense of your husband, for you to stay married, don't divorce because, you know, we want the judge to see that you're standing behind him. And then that leads women down a path. Once the case is over and he goes to jail for three or four years, her assets are still gone. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who cares if she, so that's the other thing that's difficult for me. I get a lot of calls from women saying my husband's attorney wants me not to divorce because it's better for his defense. Uh -huh. I said, well, let's look at it. Let's look at what's better for your defense. Oh, good. And I'm when you put it that, that way, yeah, yeah. When you put it that way, they're they're they're. Uh, hmm. You know, there's a lot of codependency that goes on that that I've seen because mm -hmm. you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Your husband's done something heinous, and you don't follow him off the cliff. That just is, makes no sense at all. So it's it's hard. It's difficult to help these women navigate um, because they're they're not eager to get on board with abandoning and they're in the way they see it is abandoning their husband. Uh -huh. So we have to break it down bit by bit. So do you have like group zoom meetings or how, what do you, what's your, tell us about your, uh, so, uh, I don't the want process. to call it a club. Is it a club? It's not a club. You know, it's a group. Okay. It is. It's a group. It's a private Facebook group. And you know, when we started, there were four of us for like the first, gosh, the first six or seven months. And we just kept talking, you know, kept talking, talking, talking to keep the thread, keep it going, keep it alive and mm -hmm. kept sharing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I kept blogging. And the more I blogged, the more women would kind of, you know, email me and say, I, I don't know if you're the right person to talk to or whatever. I'm like, I'm the only person to talk to. There's nobody <laughs> else doing this stuff. And so bit by bit, we added more members. There were a dozen members. And then there were two dozen, then three dozen. And then it just, it's grown and grown. I have women contact me actually from around the world so we've got oh, wow. group members in paris we've got you know new, new zealand we have australia uh we have england we have canada oh south africa as well wow but the majority of the women are in the united states um 
but yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting group because the, we used to meet on Sunday evenings when there were probably, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies, oh, it's almost Careful. October, it's already kicking yeah. in. So, so the, I, I was working at the time too, and I, I didn't have a lot of time to spend on this, but I, I just knew and, you know, intuitively that this was going to be a thing. If, if there's me, there's two, if there's two, there's three, if there's a dozen, there's two dozen, right? It's the Pearl commercial. He said, and she, she said, and she said, uh-huh. so we used to meet on Sunday nights when there was about 12 of us. And we did that up until the time there were about 30 of us mm-hmm. we were in different time zones. It became too right. different, too difficult to manage that. And then when the, you know, overseas gals came on, it was even more difficult to manage. And I actually stopped saying good morning, ladies or good evening ladies because uh-huh. to some other members it might might be the opposite so we stopped having group meetings and then I went topical so I would at, at times throw out topics and we'd all discuss that and it would encourage the ladies to to participate because it was their group too yeah. you know I set it up to be a peer group um and and so they began to engage with each other and, and answer each other's questions and that's kind of where we are to this day now if somebody has an issue they feel comfortable coming on and just presenting it to the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of women uh, PM me behind the scenes with specific you know, questions or, or issues. Um, and then I coach women, uh, white collar wives one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the cases, um, some of these women's husbands have made front page news and six o'clock news. And some of them are from small towns that nobody's ever heard of. Wow. What's what's highly confidential. I don't kiss and tell. Yeah. No. And now what's the craziest story you've heard that you like, you don't have to say names or anything. Well, they all have a component of just disbelief of Mm -hmm. really that did not happen. You know, I've told some people's stories, you know, confidentially family members or whatever, my sister, a close friend of mine. Remember my sister one time I told her a story and she said that did not happen. And I said, I assure you that it did. Uh, but I am, I'm pretty discreet when it comes to these women's sure. stories. I think, I think one of the hardest stories was a young woman who uh, was getting her master's degree and trying to get pregnant at the same time. She'd been married to her husband, who I think at the time was 27, uh-huh. really young couple. Yeah. And he had started a financial service company, investment okay. company. He wasn't licensed. He wasn't registered. Oh, just, you know. Started out with his family and friends. I think I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to start managing people's investments and, you know, doing investing investments, day trading, doing whatever. And she said, okay, that sounds good. So she's, you know, again, they're doing IVF. They're doing stuff, trying to get pregnant, getting her master's. So she's really busy doing her own thing. Mm-hmm. And so he's been really successful. His, you know, his sphere of influence was, was kicking in and they were contributing. Then he was going out of his sphere of influence and getting townspeople to kick into this fund he was starting. And then one day, um, I don't know what that conversation was between them, but he, um, he kind of roped her into helping him write a letter. He kind of told her what was going on a mm-hmm. little bit, let her in a little bit. Cause she was like, my God, you're doing really great. This is fantastic. And I guess he came clean to her at one point. And he said, you're either going to get on board with this or we're going to get divorced. He said that. Yeah. Oh. Similar. Something similar to that. That's oh. my understanding. <clears throat> so she, she was the articulate one. So she wrote a letter to his um, potential clients. And I don't know, sometime later, I don't know whether it was six months or a year later, huh, she was 
she was taking a shower. She was pregnant by then. No, it must have been a year later because by then she was six or seven months pregnant, naked in her shower. And an FBI agent stepped in and put a gun to her head while she was in the shower, had her step out, handed her a towel, and they placed her and her husband under arrest. Oh. So, yeah, it was really bad. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was horrific. That was, I think, the most horrific thing I've heard. Uh-huh. Uh, one that she complied with her husband because she got kind of manipulated into it. He assured her, no, it's fine. It's fine. This is just what we need to do to get the business started and keep it going. And um, so, yeah, but for the FBI not to at least let this six or seven month pregnant woman step out of the shower, get tailed off and then arrest her. So, you know, some of these other stories, the, the, the government really loves to come in at that six or 7 a.m. hour, uh, knocking on, pounding on the door, not even knocking, pounding on the door, coming in. Another horrible story. I don't know if you have time for it. Was We got time. You got stories. We got time, Lisa. Oh, my gosh. Another really awful story was a woman who, um, one of the first women in my group, actually, she had four kids, two of them very small mm-hmm. and two of them school age. Um, so one morning, winter morning, she left her husband in his PJs at the dining room table. Kids right. were playing, the little ones were playing on the floor and she grabbed her keys and went off to drive her two older kids to school, you know, several blocks away, maybe a mile away. And it didn't take her long. She came back, you know, maybe 20 minutes later, there were six black SUVs there parked in front of her house. Oh, and she walked in and, and her husband was handcuffed in his PJs, handcuffed, oh. sitting at the table, detectives interviewing him, other people running around the house, kind of looking into things because obviously they had a warrant. That's what mm-hmm. they do. They're looking for receipts and uh, computers and things like that to take whatever's on the warrant they'll take for forensic stuff. Oh yeah. And she said they were there for, they were there from eight fifteen or eight thirty in the morning until seven o'clock that night. Real, doing so what? They, at one point they, you know, arrested her husband, of course, took him down to the station and at three fifteen in the afternoon, you know, people, there had a moving van pulled up actually had loaded her car up and his car up onto it. They were they taking took the everything. cars. They took everything. So they were kind of loading things up from the house at that point. And she had to, <laughs> she had to go get her kids from school. Uh-huh. Right now it's sleeting, freezing, horrible. So uh-huh. she packs her two young kids into the stroller, the double stroller, heads off these many blocks to pick up her kids from school. And she said she just remembered being in such a daze. And she walked in and, and administrators that knew her and school, you know, teachers were like, are, are you okay? And she was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's all she could keep saying. I'm fine. Uh-huh. I'm fine. And collected her sons and they walked out and the kids started to walk towards the parking lot and she was just jamming it walking down the sidewalk and they're like mom where's the car she said we're walking today we're walking today let's just keep walking and the Uh kids were just she said the kids were she was numb and the kids were confused so of course you know they ran the corner and walking down the street just as they're loading the piano into the van the piano what do they want with the piano well it's all being taken for restitution it's all being taken so the son just came undone and said, where are they taking the furniture, mom? And she said, I'll explain it to you later. They got into the house. She explained that there's people in the house that are loading up this van and she'll explain mm-hmm. why. And one of the boys, I think he was like 11 or 12, had to go to the bathroom, had to pee when he got home from school. Uh-huh. 
And uh, an agent wouldn't be, they wouldn't let him go in there alone. So an agent had to follow him in to pee. Oh, so this was her day. It's not not a good thing, but I get why. Yeah, this was her day. This was her day. And in fact, she told me that one of the agents actually took birthday money off of a credenza, one of her sons out of a birthday card, took money out of his card. So this is what we're dealing with. These stories are not unusual. And that's, that's why I became an advocate. Yeah. um, Because this can't keep happening. Now, what percentage of the ladies in your group had a clue that something wasn't right? Oh, it's too hard to put a percentage on it. Mm-hmm. Like, is um, it like a low number or like high? It's like- a low, low number. It because is. Like mm-hmm. I said at the, at the beginning of the interview, you know, most of these women, I have to talk down from the ledge because mm-hmm. they're in disbelief. They don't want to believe it. They can't believe it. There's something this is. They've got him confused with someone else or, or he didn't really do this and he would never do this. And I had one woman tell me that um, she wanted to come into the group, but her husband had not been indicted yet, oh. nor had the investigation been made public yet. So I said, you know, it's really difficult for me to screen you in if I don't have any verification. Right. And I said, let me um, let me do some looking on my own and see what I can come up with. She said, that's fine. So. They lived in one state and I found a man by the same name in another state who was doing business, real estate business in another state. And I started reading, he had a, he had a website and I'm very good at research at this point. You've got to I know bet you I are. can research just about anything and find yes. what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So I found his website and on his website were comments from people that had done business with him. Uh-huh. He had ripped off and the comments were don't do business with this man he's a con artist you know so keep away so I emailed the wife who had contacted me back and said well I didn't find any that he's under investigation but I did find his website where people are leaving comments you know that, uh-huh. that aren't, aren't flattering <clears throat> which kind of corroborates what you're saying that he's in trouble because he uh-huh. had come to her and said he's in trouble but she didn't believe it. He kept saying, but it's not bad trouble. You know, a lot of these guys, this is another thing. This will blow over. It's, it's, they're making a bigger deal out of it than it is. And that's pretty much what he was telling her, making a bigger deal out of it than what it is. And the reason she reached out to me was just in case it was a bigger deal, Mm -hmm. but she was on board with him and that this was going to blow, blow over. It's not a big deal. So I emailed her back and said, I, I think I found your husband's website. Is this, his full name she said yes she said he doesn't have a website and I said well actually he does uh-huh does he do business in, in California she said yes he, he does he does real estate stuff in California too and I said well this is your husband she got so mad at me she said I don't google my husband and I don't appreciate people that do click what, what? oh that my was gosh it. That was it. so that's kind of, that's that level of denial that even though your husband's come to you and said, Oh, you know, I'm, I, I might be in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. nothing's happening yet, but I might be in trouble because of course he's had an inkling that he's under investigation. He just yeah. didn't want to tell her that. Sure. So yeah, it, it becomes very difficult. She's one of our success stories though, because she later came back to the group and said, this thing appears to be true and I need to know what to do. And I need support. She came into the group by that time I could verify it. Mm-hmm. You know, the investigation was public by them. And she went on and divorced him, got her real estate license, doing very well now, Mm -hmm. and uh, is in a relationship. So it's pretty awesome. 
Uh, another crazy story. Now that you've opened the floodgates here. I can, I can feel the floodgates opening. Yes, yes. <laughs> another great story. And I might have told you this at one point, but another great story. I mean, off air. Another great story was a 60-something-year-old doctor who was oh. very prominent in Manhattan. Well-respected, you know, one of the good guys, best of the best. You know, his ratings were off the charts. We mm -hmm. love this doctor. He's the best doctor. Well, he got involved in the whole um, opioid crisis the kickback deal oh um, right right mm -hmm. so he got he got involved in that and he was getting kickbacks apparently he has you know allegedly he was getting kickbacks and you know doctors would do lectures and then they would push these literally push pills to patients and make money from that from the um from the pharmaceutical company oh yeah yeah for sure so a few doctors were indicted and the pharmaceutical reps were indicted. The owner was sent to prison and indicted and sent to prison. The company was shut down. It was mm -hmm. a huge thing in all the papers. Anyway, so he, um, he, during COVID, when COVID started happening, he, he went into prison, into jail, having uh, um, health issues. Mm -hmm. And he kind of got the green light to be let out of jail while he was awaiting actually another, another trial, another issue mm -hmm. associated with, with the pharmaceutical situation but it's like 11 o'clock at night or so and he got word that look man you've, you've been released for covid situation mm -hmm. you need to get to this address his brother was an attorney in manhattan he had arranged to uh, have a hotel room ready for him on the upper east side upper west side something like that mm -hmm. so pearl street is the jail in manhattan is downtown mm -hmm. so to get up to uh, the upper east or west side you know you've got to hit a subway he had no money on him mm -hmm. He had the clothes he was wearing, you know, his prison issued tennis shoes and khakis and a, whatever, a sweatshirt, whatever he was wearing. So he had to jump the turnstile at the subway station oh. to catch to catch the subway to head up to his hotel room. Uh-huh. So, you know, here's 11 o'clock at night. He's, you know, he looks like a prisoner or some kind of derelict jumping yeah. the turnstile, which is against the law, yeah. already breaking the law at the get-go. Yeah. And so gets up to the hotel and yeah, you know, hi, I have a hotel room, I think here. Uh -huh. So they got him into the hotel. His brother got him in there. And the next day he was fitted for an ankle bracelet. Uh -huh. And so he's still out as far as I know. Um, but that it's just, there's crazy stories out there too many to even talk about. So after I finished the attorney book in defense of the innocent spouse, I'm writing my third book in the process, have been in the process of that. And it seriously is called The Secret Lives of White Collar Wives. And these stories, you know, I want to tell these women's stories. And I want to talk about the women that have really come through and grown mm -hmm. by leaps and bounds and, and have, uh, you know, agency now separate from their husbands and ex-husbands. It takes years to become unentangled from this mess because oh, yeah. of the property laws and the marital laws and the tax laws. So one thing people do need to know, you know, good takeaway here is that, uh, if you sign your tax returns jointly with your husband, you are on the hook for those embezzled fraudulent funds because unreported, underreported funds are taxable, of course. Well, yeah, it turns out people don't like to uh, report their embezzlement. <laughs> you know, hard to imagine that, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that's one of the big things that a lot of these women... Um, are hit with, you know, a mm -hmm. million dollars or $2 million or, you know, uh, yeah, you're on the hook for that. 
it is not easy to get uh, innocent spouse status from, from uh, state or uh, federal. Wow. Now, what's your what's your number one tip that you mostly like? Because because people come in, what's what's the thing that most of them need to know first? Get out. Get out of the out of the relationship. File for divorce. Protect your fair share of assets uh-huh. because not all of these women have lived on tainted assets all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. In, in it, even in my case, you know, I never saw a dime of that. That none of that money ever came into any of in any of my accounts, right? Um, or our marital accounts. But it's easier. And a lot of these people, you, that's a really good question. And the answer brings up, you know, yes, get divorced because it's a lot easier to deal with this as an ex-wife than it is going through this whole process. Too many women wait to the end when everything's frozen or everything's gone through restitution and you know, post-judgment orders. Is it too late? Do you think it's too late for me to file for divorce? I get a lot of that, but I mostly get, I wish I would have listened to you and filed for divorce. But emotionally, you know, they want to be there for their, yes, honey, you did something so egregious, but I really, you know, I know you're remorseful. I want to be there for you and I'm going to be there for you. And then they realize that they've completely screwed themselves. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Or again, you have the attorney saying, Oh no, 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 no divorce. You don't want to do that because we want the judge to see the whole family. Uh It's just a, just a colossal mess. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you? They can go to my website, which is the white collar wives project.org. Or they can email me at LawlerLisa1 at gmail.com. That's L-A-W-L-E-R-1 at gmail.com. And of course, my email information is on my website. And happy to speak to women. I do coaching one-on-one, like I've said. There's plenty of testimonials on my website. Um, My media package is there. And, you know, one of the things I have to tell you, too, is I've had so many producers reach out to me over the last three years Oh, we want to do a show on this. We have to make a show on this. But the problem is they want to make a real housewife show. And that's just, just not who we are. Well, here's what we're going to do. I got to get my show rolling and me and you are going to talk because, because this is exactly the kind of scenarios that I want to bring out, not only for awareness, but it's such good drama. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. Tracy, what a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been really nice. And I know that we will be talking soon. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.